What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins, each and every day. How's it going, everybody? We made it to another Friday. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show... We'll get you caught up on the latest Friday injury report for Dolphins and Bengals. We'll get to John Kinjemi's three takeaways. We'll welcome Seth and OJ on the podcast as we do every single Friday. But the main event on this episode of Drive Time, Oronde Gadsden joins us to flash it back to 2000. The Dolphins take down the Bengals in that season. We'll talk to Oronde Gadsden about that. All of that and more on this Friday, December the 4th edition of the Drive Time podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins Drive Time is brought to you by AutoNation. Hey, Dolphins fans, the new year starts now at AutoNation. Let's skip the rest of 2020 and get to big New Year savings on your favorite AutoNation Chevys, Fours, Toyotas, Hondas, and much more. Shop safely at the AutoNation store near you or AutoNation.com and save now. And you can check out John Kinjemi's three keys to the game up on MiamiDolphins.com. Let's go ahead and get to your Dolphins injury report here really quickly. Coach said they're going to make a decision on the quarterbacks on Sunday, and we will know at that time whether it's going to be Tua Tungavailoa or Ryan Fitzpatrick starting in the game. DeAndre Washington and Savon Ahmed are doubtful. The team has not declared their intentions on running back Miles Gaskin, whether or not he's coming off the injured reserve. Coach Flores said they have to talk with the personnel staff, with Brandon Shore, Marvin Allen, and of course, General Manager Chris Greer, questionable on the game, is going to be offensive lineman Solomon Kinley. And running back Matt Breida is dealing with an illness. He was back there for Friday's practice. They're going to update us as soon as they can, said Coach Flora. So plenty of questions about the Dolphins' injury report heading into this game for the Bengals. And joining me now on this Friday edition of the Drive Time Podcast is former Dolphins receiver Oronde Gadsden. He's out in front of the Golden Gate Bridge right now on the Zoom call. I'm not sure where you are in real life, but Oronde, (laughs) thanks for joining me, man. I appreciate it. Hey, man, no problem. Uh, give me a second. Let me get my mask together, and then uh, uh, we can continue. But thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Always got to have the mask. That is life here in 2020. And we have you on today to talk about the 2000 game against the Bengals. But first, I want to ask you, we had you on back in the summer talking about my personal all-time favorite Dolphins game, 2002 at the Denver Broncos, a big Sunday night football win. And you and I had kind of exchanged some text about getting that game into your hands did you ever have a chance to watch that game? Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you, man. That's probably in my top, at least in my top five of football games played, man. That was a good hard-hitting game. Yeah, you, you got it to me, and I watched it. I, I even watched it with uh, Pat Sertan, and we, we had uh, uh, a lot of laughs and uh, brought back a lot of memories. How often do you do that? Like, Is that something you would do more often if you had more more games available to you? Uh, yeah, just the good ones. I'm, yeah. I'm sure we, we would pick one or two of them ourselves. He probably has a few games, like that Raider game. He, he talks about that quite often, about the Jay Rice interception. And, you know, I got one or two of the Colts games that I like too. But um, we definitely go go back down memory lane if we had a chance. We got to get Pat on the podcast here one of these days. I know he's a big-time high school football coach these days, taking boys over to state championships every single year. So that's cool, man. I would love to be a fly on the wall in that room watching games with you guys. 
Uh, today, we're going back to 2000, uh, a game against the Cincinnati Bengals. Dolphins are hosting the Bengals this Sunday at Hard Rock Stadium, so we're doing flashback with the Bengals. And this was your first season of Ronde without Dan at quarterback. And at that point, Dan started all 32 games of your career at that point. What was the feeling among the receivers and yourself when Dan retired and you had to go into the 2000 season with a little bit of an unknown at the quarterback uh, position? Uh, it, it was kind of tough, you know, um, you know, losing Dan and, and knowing uh, what kind of person he was. And, and, and you knew he was a gunslinger and, you know, he was he was one to throw at all costs and, and didn't know much about Jay. Just knew Jay hung up a few touchdowns on us in that Jacksonville game. Um, uh, but we 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 quickly got acclimated to Jay and, and found out he was. Uh, just as tough as nails, and he do everything he can to win the game. And uh, as a receiver, that's all you need to know. Yeah, that's a, that's a great prelude to my next question here because he obviously goes and wins the job in camp over Damon Heward. And you mentioned the toughness and something that to maybe maybe back then it was different, but to me, you can't really prove that medal without playing a true regular season game. But maybe back then you could. Did, did you guys see that in his? training camp in the preseason like did you see that toughness and that kind of gritty mentality that we knew he had later early on in training camp obviously going forward we thought Damon Hewitt was our guy because we played a few games with him uh before and when, when Dan was injured one or two games but um uh I think JJ showed it wanted it in training camp and uh, uh we followed his lead we knew he wasn't you know gonna going to win games pretty, but we were going to win games because uh, he do what we needed to be done to win the games. And so I think, you know, just like now, I think the running, uh, the running aspect of it, you know, played a big part in us, you know, knowing we had a great defense, we just need to get some first downs and, and get, get Lindo in position to kick a field goal or two and, and we win the game. But uh, we knew Juke, I mean, Jay had what it took. Yeah, so for you younger Dolphins fans out there, and look look at me being the old wise one these days, but for you younger Dolphins fans, before Jason Sanders, Alindo Mari was money in the bank as well. So you heard Aronde talk about his ability to put the ball through the uprights back in those days. But in this season, you guys start off 3-1. and one. You're on the road against a winless team, and they come out and jump on a damn good Dolphins team with a 13-0 lead. Now, I'm curious to get your take here because Dick LeBeau, he, this is his first game as interim head coach for them after they fired their previous head coach. And at this point of the game, like, do they have a little bit of that new interim head coach juice coming out of the gates? Why do you think, in your opinion, it took you guys a minute to get going in that game? You, you know how tough it is, man, going up against a, a winless team. I think you sometimes play down to your, your opponents. And, and for them to score two touchdowns, for them to have – 13 points on our defense that was that was pretty that was pretty tough that doesn't usually happen right away like you may get 13 points in the game but not not 13 points right away and so um you know uh it's a it's a team game and so the defense was uh lacking a bit so the offense had to step up which usually is the other way around and we're going to talk a little bit more about one of those players on that defense that made it so good. Zach Thomas also coming up on the Hall of Fame ballot once again. Let's get him into Canton this year, finally. But you mentioned... Please, please. Yeah, yes, yes. We, we all think it should happen. Eventually, I think it will. Hopefully, this is the year. But back to this game. And, you know, we actually talked with Channing last week about a Broncos game or two weeks ago. And he 
Jack made like four goal line stands in a row. It's just, I could talk about that guy all night long, man, but let's, let's transition here. Uh, You mentioned them scoring some points early. One of the ways they did score was a Peter Warwick. How's that name for a flashback? He caught a one handed uh, touchdown in the back of the end zone. And we referenced your appearance on drive time this summer already. We talked about that Broncos game. And since that was the same year as your fame, one famed one handed sprawled out stab on the infield dirt there at pro player stadium, we (laughs) went in on that catch. You and I did. So if you guys want to catch Oronde breaking down that catch, go back to the summer's episode and check it out. But I'm wondering, since that was kind of your move at that stage in the NFL, like guys weren't making the one-handed catches like they do now. Like it was your move, in my opinion. Did that play maybe make you think to yourself, all right, it's my turn to go make a play? Uh, not really. Like I, like I said, I, I saw him do it. It was a great catch. You know you you, you know what, what Peter, Peter Warwick did at, uh, at Florida State, you know, uh, what he did earlier at the Bengals, it was just, you know, it, it's just competition. That's what it's all about. If he if he could do it, I know I could do it. And, and you you want the ball. Uh, you, I don't think you say it, but but you feel it inside. And I think everybody knows, like, oh man, he did a one-handed catch. Uh, can can you could you do one to show him <laughs> up? I, I don't think it was said, but I, I think it was inferred. Well, you certainly did. You went out there and made a couple of plays. And, you know, speaking of Peter Warwick, I would love to see Peter Warwick in today's NFL. He might fit a little more than he did back then with a more physical and bruising type of game. But uh, that's besides the point. But, you, you know, I mentioned this. You did score two touchdowns in this game, and both of those were on fade routes. Now, help me out here, Ronde, because I have to imagine that your play style, your body composition, all that stuff, the big, strong hands, I have to imagine you love the fade route. Oh, without a doubt, I think, you know, coming from a basketball background, just like a lot of the receivers today are coming from, um, I think when you get a matchup against a, a smaller corner, that, that just helps us, you know. And, and so if you, if you can time to jump and you work with it, you know, uh, with your quarterback a few times, I, I think you can master it. And I, it was just something that I, I was used to doing coming from uh, Winston-Salem State, and it, it was just second nature to me. Well, so help me out here because, and I don't know how much you get on social media, Ronde, maybe not at all, but a lot of, (laughs) smart move, (laughs) a lot of fans, and and we even seen, we saw two touchdowns that I can recall off the top of my head this year from Devontae Parker and Mac Hollins, one in Denver, one in Arizona, where they caught touchdowns on fade type of routes into the corner of the end zone, but if you go on social media, if a team calls a fade route and it doesn't go complete because that's how this league works. If it doesn't work, you're not smart. If it does work, you're a genius. But they'll see these fade routes fall to the turf and they lose their mind. So help help me convince fans that fade routes are not the worst thing in the world. No, no, definitely not. I, I think, once again, it takes practice. But uh, I, I think more times than not, I, I think, you know, where, where deep ball is more 50-50, I think a fade route with 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 practice is is at least seventy thirty. So I think uh, you know it, it's best to throw, especially when you have a height difference. I think uh, you know I watch Hollins. Obviously, he has the eighty six on, so I, so I watch yeah. him. And it was a perfect throwing ball, and, and he went up and caught it. And the one in uh, Denver, I think, is the the Devontae Parker catch and had a foot out of bounds. I think. Uh, uh, just the other day, I think, and so um, if you if you got the height advantage, if you you use six three, six four, and you got a DB five ten, I, I think you, yeah, odds are definitely in your favor. So that's a a great prelude into the next question here. Uh, I think it was at the Jets, and it might have been like t- two thousand six. I know it was after your playing career, but 
there was one instance where they flexed out Jason Taylor, who came in and checked in as a, a tight end eligible, and they flexed him out. And I'll never forget the still image. It was him lined up like a wide receiver. He had the little stance. He was probably feeling himself. And they put a little 5'10 cornerback out there, and it was just like, okay, that's where the ball has to go. And they did it, and the cornerback just pulls him down by the, the part of the, the inside coll- collarbone. Yeah on the front of the jersey. It was hilarious to watch. So he, the reason that's a good example to lead into here was because JT had a huge play in this game, a strip sack and score, the hat trick. He loved doing it. You guys are down 13-3 to at this point in the game. First off, there's eight seconds left in the first half. They've got the ball yeah. at the minus 35-yard line. Are you thinking to yourself, what the hell are they doing putting the ball up in the air right now? Yeah, I mean, we all thought they'd, they'd run the clock out and, we, and we'd go in and have to come up with a different game plan. But, um, you know, uh, like I said, that, that defense, especially with the uh, the back half of it, we having, you know, Pat and Sam and with Zach in the middle and, and, and JT coming coming off the edge, you know, p- passing was uh, good luck, you know what I mean? So uh, they passed it and, and JT – did he do the Jordan on that one at the end when he scored over the goal line? Was that – that the one you know he did he always did it <laughs> yeah, yeah so that that was that was a big deal that was that you know that that was a big deal in a, in a bunch of ways for him <laughs> and for us so um you know he, he he's a great athlete um you know we, we 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 still i still see him all the time uh he i'm at i'm at american heritage he's at st thomas and so we we coach against each other we 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 play we, we play football still love flag football so i see jt all the time these South Florida kids are so lucky to have so many former Dolphins and alumni coaching down here. I'll go for walks sometimes around the neighborhood, and I'll, I'll look across the park, and there's there's kids working out, man. Like, it's just different down here. I, I love being around yeah. this football culture. It's so cool. But uh, sure. we, we mentioned Jason Taylor there, you know, his favorite play in football, the hat trick, the, the strip sack, scoop, and score. And from there it goes, you know, from 13 to 3, and the final score of the game winds up being 31-16. So you guys just roll them up there. That that's the kind of play that just changes the course of the game, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's it's tough to say, but if you if you play in any type of sports, uh, you know, frequently up for a long time, you know, momentum is real, and and, and so when you're playing the game, especially when you're behind, you anything anything changes momentum, and a play like that definitely does. When he when he sacks, get the fumble and score, that gives us points. Uh, uh, without the offense being on the field, it, it, it's great. And it gives the offense some juice as well because, man, no, we only have to score, you know, once or twice to get ahead, and then the defense is, is probably going to be solid as usual. And you were the one that went on to score once or twice. It was two times, in fact. Finished the game with 31 of the final 34 points. You moved to 4-1. and one. You wind up that season 11-5. and five. You win a playoff game, the epic Colts overtime victory, Lamar Smith, the, the man, Lamar Smith home. game. Yeah. Was that your favorite? Was that your favorite year as a pro, Ronde two thousand? I, I think so. I, I think you know um, uh, everybody had been on top of their game. Um, you know, we 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 did everything we were supposed to do. Um, Eleven and five was was you know, and the AFC East was 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 tough to do, and we did it, and, and we went on to the playoff game. And Lamar Lamar had a great game. Uh, uh, at home, I, I think that's still been the last home playoff game that we won. So um, that that still sticks out, and, and I think he might have had like 42 carries to win the game. So that was that was pretty that, that was a, a a pretty tough rugged game. But things were things football was just different then. Um, you know, if 
it, it, football is, is, is great now, but I, I just think back then when, when, when the rules were a little different, football was a lot tougher. The wins were harder to come by, and, and you just love playing the game. So I, I think if, if I had to look back, that 11 or 5 year was probably, probably my best year as a pro. So maybe you can, maybe you cannot answer this, but you mentioned, you know, getting that tough win in the playoffs over time. Lamar carries the ball over 40 times, 200 something yards, the game winning touchdown. What was, what was that night like for you guys? Like, cause you, you obviously had to prepare for the Raiders. And I, if I'm correct, if I'm wrong here, but I think it was on a Saturday. So you're already on a short week. Like, did you really have time to truly enjoy what you guys did that day? Or was it like, we got to get back to work already? Um, it, it was tough. We we enjoyed that one. It, it went into overtime, and you know how tough the Colts are. And, and you know, the, the main thing is when you go into playoffs and have to play, you want a home game. And so um, we, we kind of played as hard as we could in the regular season to get that game. And we knew that game was going to be tough because at that, that, at that time, it was the third time we had played the Colts. And, and so it, it's tough to beat beat any team once as, as far as, you know, having to play them three times. So um, we, we enjoyed that one. Knowing it was a short week, we, you know, a lot of the team, a lot of the players on that team were veterans and we had done it before. It didn't always work out for us the best because I, I think that the Jacksonville game was on a short week as well. <laughs> and, and, and so we knew it was going to be tough. And, you know, we had to go out to the Raiders. It didn't, didn't, didn't go the way uh, we wanted it to go. But I, I think, you know, looking back on it, that's still one of the best games that that was a that was a team effort. But it was a bruising game. We didn't we didn't pass a lot. And if you look back, I I, I did give a good block to Spring Lamar for the touchdown in overtime. But anyway, who's 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 counting? <laughs> hey, I counted. I just asked Coach Grizzard a couple weeks ago, the receivers coach here for the Dolphins, about blocking, and he said. If you don't block in this room, you're not going to play. So good company there. Aronde Gadsden, good company. We actually, every Friday, uh, Aronde, we have Seth and OJ from the Fish Tank Podcast. They're going to come on after you and talk about this game as well. So it's funny you mentioned okay, the, okay. the 86 with Mac Hollins because OJ, he has an affinity for the 81 jersey. So you, you kind of have that same thing with 86? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, 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 we have a... Uh... As older guys, we we, we got a, a a a group of us, probably four or five of us, who look all over the league to see who has it. Uh, Antonio Freeman was one of those guys. He he had it in in Green Bay, and we talk all the time about what the other eighty sixes are doing. So yeah, that 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 is that is kind of near and dear to your heart because you know the people that have it. It's not a it's not a glorious number, but uh, you, you make do with it, and, and you know the people that have it, and especially if you do something with it, then we, we, we definitely welcome you to the Club 86. <laughs> You're talking my language, <laughs> man, because I am team, I will say it till the day I'm dead, receivers should be wearing 80s, not the teen jerseys, man. Give me the 80s yeah, back. Yeah, 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 get the 80s back, you know, because we all, you know, Jerry Rice, Michael Irvin, yeah. man, they, 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 they embedded in our heads, man, it's, we we grew up watching Jerry Rice and, and Michael Irvin. They had the '80s numbers, and those those were our guys, my guys anyway. And, and you wanted you wanted to emulate them, and and those were the numbers you wanted. I don't know when the 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 numbers came uh, lower when everybody wanted the teen numbers. That that's a college thing, I think. But when you get to the pros, you want the big boy '80 numbers, and and uh, 
that that's what I wanted. That's what I wished for, and that, that's what I got. I think when I came in the Dolphins, the first preseason game, I had three, and I wanted to get out of that three so bad. <laughs> hey, when I was a kid, and I played high school basketball and baseball, I wore twenty four because I was a big Mariners and Griffey fan, and I wore thirteen on the basketball court because of Dan Marino. So, like you said, you we, we we all follow after our our heroes there. Aronde Gadsden, six years in Miami, over three thousand receiving yards, twenty two touchdowns. Aronde, appreciate your time today, man. Thanks for uh, joining us while you're picking up the kids from school there. Hey, man, thanks. I appreciate it, man. And we turn now to our crossover edition of the Drive Time Podcast as I am joined by Seth and OJ of the Fish Tank Podcast. Fellows, Thanksgiving is over. We didn't get juice last week, so go ahead and start with you. OJ, how was the holiday, man? Man, the holiday was great. You know, a small party, considering what we're used to having over here at the McDuffie house, man. A party of six, but it was great. All, all our family members actually live here, and, and plus one. So we had, a, we had a great holiday, man. I ate too much. I did put on that Thanksgiving 15, you know, <laughs> trying to work it out, but even though I'm a little under the weather, but I, I'll get it off, Big Seth. I'll get it off. I got faith in you, Juice. I know you do. I figured it was a good Thanksgiving when we, you know, we couldn't find you on uh, <laughs> yeah. Friday morning. No, that was a Jets problem. That was a Jets reason. <laughs> about the Jets. I told you, Travis. Uh, he he <laughs> did mention on the podcast, he also mentioned that he was at Marino's pool, so I was wondering if he ever got kicked out of there or not. Yeah, he, you know uh, what, man? Seth, Seth's pretty quick. Don't let him fool you, man. He's quicker than Marino, that's for damn sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not by much though. It's uh, that's an ugly race right there. That's an ugly race. You guys clocking the six six second forty yard dashes these days, or is that is that still too much to ask? Wait, we got to finish the forty. We got to actually finish the thing. 40, 40 foot dash. There you go. I like so, it. So we had a Ronde on for uh, Bengals, obviously coming up this week at Hard Rock Stadium. We had him on to talk about the two thousand game. Um, we were thinking about this one or twenty thirteen, the walk off wake sack, but we figured. If we're going to do that game, we better get Cam Wake on. We couldn't make that happen, so we wanted to focus on this one. Seth had, had mentioned it because of a, a particular play we'll get to here in just one second, but I wanted to first ask you, Juice. Uh, I had a Ronde Gatson on the podcast, and second time he's on the podcast with me. Come to find out, he's I, I showed him the YouTube clip for the 2002 Broncos game, the, the Sunday night primetime, uh, Jason Elam, Melinda Mare. And he told me that he and, and Pat Sertan actually got together and watched that game together. And that made me feel like really good. Like I'm here I am helping my, my, my favorite Dolphin players of all time get together and watch a game that's one of my favorite games. Thought that was really cool to hear. Oronde, just a really cool guy. I wanted to ask you, Juice, like as far as a teammate and, and the kind of guy that Oronde is, what do you remember about Oronde Gadsden with the Miami Dolphins? I met Aronde well before the Miami Dolphins. Actually, I remember when he was with Dallas, you know, and he was on the Dallas Cowboys, and, and we played a little uh, charity basketball game. And you know, during warmups, that's that's when everybody shines. <laughs> when your football player is trying to play basketball, everybody shines in warmups. You know, everybody was dunking. We were all dunking. Me, Terry Kirby, and all the guys were, you know, tossing it up and putting it down. But I looked down the other end. I watched Aronde those big old mitts of his man like he was like above the square jumping and dunking man and you know the way he was palming the basketball I said man, that's one hell of an athlete but I didn't know much about him as a football player because he didn't really see the field then but then when he came to us you know Jimmy Johnson era coach Robert Ford you know and he had just played I think world league arena ball he'd done all these things and he had a whole season of football in pads and then he came to us and I was like who was this guy all I knew was this dude could catch anything Anything in this area with those big mitts of his, he could catch anything, man. And, and so uh, that it gained a trust factor from Danny Boy. Couldn't run routes for shit. <laughs> he couldn't run routes for shit. <laughs> but I, I was in the, the tank, tank, dude. I'm not the tank. I'm not the tank. <laughs> uh, but, 
man, you put it in his area, and it was all big O's ball, man. So it, it was fun to have him on the other side because you know he gets some of those one on ones. When I'm getting a double team on the inside, and, and, and guys found him, you know, uh, from Danny finding to Jay Feather finding him, and that was uh, it was always fun for me having him as a teammate and playing opposite me. Well, I want to circle back to, you know, you mentioned him going up and getting the football. He did it twice in this game in tight coverage down in the end zone for a couple of touchdowns. But this game didn't start that way, Seth. And I think to many people's surprise because this was a 3-1, and 4-1 and one Dolphins team coming into the game. The Bengals were winless at the time. They had just fired their head coach, Dick LeBeau, of all people. I mean, the legendary Dick LeBeau was the interim head coach for the Bengals in that game. And they come out and put 13 points on the Dolphins to start the thing off and you know, this was an era where Miami was was Miami and Cincinnati was Cincinnati. So folks probably were pretty shocked by that. Seth, when when you're around a team that is expected to win like that and they don't start off that way, is there a certain like driving factor that kind of kicks in and gets these guys, you know, hey, it's time to go here? I imagine OJ could probably answer that better than I can. But I, but as far as setting the, the table, I mean, you're right. And it, it wasn't just that they were 0-4 and, and had just fired their head coach. This is a team that was four and twelve the year before. I think they were three and thirteen the year before that. I mean, they were they were one of the doormats of the league, and you know you hate to say that about a franchise, but they were struggling, and um, and so it wasn't just oh all of a sudden the coach isn't getting their job done. So this was a team, and and you talk about the Dolphins in two thousand. We expected to be good. The play it wasn't about the playoffs. It was about can we get the home field you know advantage can. You know, can we play more games at home and see if we can get into the dance? That was the type of team that we felt we had here. And to start off that way and get punched in the mouth, really, by by an opponent that was not an opponent that should be doing that to you. I mean, that was um, it was disheartening. I, certainly for, for an employee, it was. I can only imagine what it felt like for guys in the locker room. And, and as I said, OJ could probably answer that better, how, how leaders have to step up. But uh, you're right. I mean, they were they were down. They had just kicked that field goal to have some semblance of hope, but I, I I don't know that you felt momentum at that point in time because the fact they even had to settle for a field goal is disappointing. And for whatever reason, Cincinnati decided to use those last 30 seconds or so <laughs> to try and drive the ball. I guess they were feeling themselves at that point. And Achilles Smith, who was in the second year, I believe, um, you know, probably had a lot of confidence and, uh, and for whatever reason, they call a passing play, and JT did the thing that helped make JT a Hall of Famer. You know, it wasn't just big plays. It was big plays at big times. And, and so I think when leaders step up like that, and he not only gets the sack, but the strip sack, picks up the fumble, returns it for the touchdown. Uh, and, um, I, I, again, Juice, you've got to answer this better than I could, but that to me felt like a momentum swing. That's why I think the Bengals probably felt, oh, no, here we go again. And the Dolphins felt like, okay, we're right back in this game. Yeah, that trifecta right there, Seth, was huge. You know, and JT did that a lot in his career. You know, not to mention just this game, man. He's, he's he did a lot. Um, where JT was our best offense at times, it seemed like. <laughs> and, uh, and and that play right there was a huge momentum builder right there. You know, Corey Dillon was running well against us. Peter Warwick was playing well against us. You know, and to make that mistake that Cincinnati made to to, to to try to move the ball down the field there, instead of just going in with a nice little lead, you know, and, and make well enough alone, especially with a young quarterback and Achilles Smith, um, I was a huge mistake, and JT made them pay for it. So that was definitely a momentum change for us, and uh, definitely sparked us on the offense side of football because uh, you know the guys. And who knows how that halftime talk went? I bet JT said, "Man, you know, step it up. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm making plays. You guys step it up." And 
the offense seemed to do that in the second half. I, I don't recall that ever happening besides this play where a team tried to pass from their own side of the football field with pretty much what was going to be the last play of the half and a strip sack goes the other way for six. I cannot recall that ever happening in a game. So it just speaks again to the greatness of JT to make plays in those spots. And like you mentioned to OJ, to be able to go out there and say, hey, offense, I got more points than you. What the hell is going on out here? Let's <laughs> pick right. this shit up right now. Um, and, and I won't He's go probably back. not afraid to say that, right? Oh, he, he definitely let you know. He's had some epic halftime and post-game rants, so it's not uh, beyond him to, to let folks know <laughs> that it's time for them to step up. Seth, you mentioned something that I wanted to go back to with you, and you said that the expectation that year in 2000 was that this team was going to not just qualify for the playoffs, but get a home playoff game and, and make a run once January got here. But that was post-Marino. Like, that was the expectation even after saying goodbye to the GOAT? Well, I think that that was, you know, I mean, Juice can talk a lot about um, Jimmy Johnson in, in different capacity, but I do know that Jimmy would preach that all the time. You know, it's like the, the expectation is you're going to the playoffs and now we've got to figure out how to have games at home because it's the less games you have to play and the more you play in front of your own crowd, the, the easier it is to get to where you got to go. So I think that Dave tried to carry that over. And, uh, and while it was post Marino, you know, there were a lot of talented players on that team, particularly on defense, yeah. but a lot of talented players on that team. And you can say what you want about Jay Fiedler, but he did not lack for confidence either. Jay had a lot of belief in his abilities. And, you know, as much as we hate to say this, they did go to the playoffs that year and they did win a playoff game and, and we're still waiting for, for a playoff win and hopefully one sooner than later will we'll come here. But, um, but that, yeah, that was a good football team. Yeah. I mean, I thought, I agree. I agree with that. Seth. And I think that, you know, we were built, I think they, the way they had built that team defensively and having Lamar Smith, they will be able to run the football that way. And Jay being a, a hell of a competitor and, and a game manager, but we've seen game managers win games, win Super Bowls. You know, so if you can run the ball and you have defense, that can travel no matter what. And I think that there were a lot of high expectations. That defense was definitely built for us to win and win big at that time. Seth, you mentioned the, the playoff win over the Colts that year, the Lamar Smith game, as I always remember it as, you know, 200 yards in that game. Obviously, obviously OJ had a couple of big catches as well. But uh, he, got, he, too. he got the scoring going. Yeah, always, always. Love that. He, he got the scoring going in this one as well. But then Oronde Gadsden came back with a couple of touchdowns on fade routes. And I wanted to ask Oronde this because, you know, we talked about it a little bit off air. He If the ball was in his vicinity, he was going to go snatch it. And that was his game. And... I asked him this if he was on social media. He said no. I said, smart move, Aronde. And I said that if you go on there, if teams throw a fade route, it's like a primetime game, you're going to see about 100 tweets of people saying, why are they calling the fade route? The fade route is a wasted down. I wanted to get your take on that, OJ. And just as a receiver, when they call your number on a fade, what goes through your mind? Like, you have to be thinking, that's my football, right? Not me. Uh, no, don't throw me a fade route. No, I don't want a fade route, man. Because uh, for one, I didn't have a Rondé's six three, six four size. I didn't have his. I probably had the same vertical, but you know, but his reach and his hands, man, that's his favorite. I'd rather run routes, you know, because I'm not gonna beat anybody deep, Travis. We all know this. I can talk about that now. I wouldn't talk about that like that when I was trying to renegotiate my contract. But now that I'm retired, you know, I can say I'm not gonna beat anybody deep. You need to throw me more intermediate, over the middle, things like that. But guys like Aronde with that size and leaping ability and the ability, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody with the ability to high point a ball like Aronde does. I and mean, we've seen some, we've got some some pictures and videos of him so stretched out. And those are overthrows of guys like me. 
way overthrown for guys like me, you know. But if those guys took a chance and they knew a Rondé would be the guy that could go up and get it. They're not 50-50 balls on the Rondé's guy. They're like 80-20s. It's either 80% Rondé's going to get it or it's going to be incomplete. And, and it was uh, it was special to see him go up there. But the fact that he hated running anything else, you know, he didn't want to run a, a dig route. He didn't want to run the skinny post. Skinny post is kind of like an inside fade route anyway. He was okay with that. He'll take that fade route all day. And, um, and he was he was really good at it. It's, it's a good mention there because this week Coach Flores talked about separation with Devontae Parker and how the separation sometimes on those in-breaking routes is just the arm length. You, you stack the defensive back on your back and you reach those arms out and there's your separation right there. So kind of an interesting segue there with, with Aronde and the current landscape of the NFL and current Dolphins. And, you know, you mentioned the reached out or sprawled out catches. I think everyone recalls the catch against the Jets, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the streak ending game. I think it was 2002 against the Jets. The Dolphins beat... New York in in a pro player stadium at the time it's changed so many times I forget the name of it but they won that Imagine game. Imagine if you were working there it was a different name every time you showed up. <laughs> Land Shark Dolphin Dolphin Stadium. He he reached all the way out and he snags this thing and this is like pre sticky gloves era like I mean this is before the ball just glues to your hand and I I mean I'm curious being around that and and being involved was. OJ from a reporter's perspective, Seth from the from the media PR perspective, was there like a storm over that play as far as like, man, we gotta get Aronde and, and talk about that play, or was it just kind of something that he did all the time? Man, I saw Aronde, I saw Aronde make a catch in practice that stopped every everybody from doing anything. Man, he caught a, a skinny post backhanded. Backhanded. Yeah, with one <laughs> hand, like wow. and it kind of is like then it's like it was like sick. It's like, come on, man, that's not that's not normal right there. You know, so he did this all the time. You, you can't, you couldn't cover a Rondé in terms of, like, he, he was never, like, wide open. It was a couple of times, but you, you threw it in his area, and it was like, he just makes sick catches all the time. So when he, when he did it in the games, kind of like with Danny, you know, some of the throws he made in games, he, he made those day after day in practice. And uh, same thing with a Rondé. You give him those opportunities, man, he always took advantage of them. But, yeah, the backhand catch in practice, was probably the sickest catch I've ever seen by any human being. So yeah, there was that was nothing special with that catch right there. But it would get guys hyped up though. But I, I agree with you, Juice. I mean, it, uh, OG did it over and over and over again in practice, in games. But that catch in particular, what stood out to me about it was it was over the middle. It wasn't you know everyone loves the Odell Beckham catch, and and to me, Arande was doing that before Beckham was. You know, he did that one against the Raiders. But those are kind of faded away and. This was a bullet over the middle, and the ball yeah. got away from Jay, right? Yeah. I mean, it really yeah. got away from him, but he put everything he had on the damn thing. It should have been a pick because OG really should not have – like a normal human being would not have caught that ball. Or gone and, for and, it. Yeah, right. And, <laughs> and Right, or even gone for it over the middle like that. And he just stabbed his hand out there. So, yeah, in the press box, the thing that – and I don't know what it's like now, but when I was there – you know, you have all the monitors above where you sit. So you watch the game, and when there's a big play, you can watch 200 heads all turn up and wait for that replay to go <laughs> back on the monitor. And that was one we wanted to see it over and over and over again. Unfortunately, they played it again in the broadcast. And, yeah, you know, Aronde, um, great personality. The media was always going to talk to him. He was always happy to talk to the media. And, and I'm sure he had a few things to say after the game regarding that catch. <laughs> there, there's a YouTube clip that I've seen probably about 35 times. It's it's Ricky Williams' entire 2002 highlights. It's like a six-parter. And they they clip that Aronde catch in the middle of Ricky Williams' highlight video. So it tells you just how substantial and how well-known that catch was. 
Uh, speaking, speaking of capturing big moments, you guys had David Cross on the podcast. You like that transition there, Seth? That's professional yeah, right there. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, was, was he was on the Fish Tank podcast, team photographer for – catch me up. How long was he on the team? And, and can just you guys talk about the, the podcast you did with him? Well, Dave started taking pictures even before he was working for the team in the 70s and, and continues to. I, well, this year, I think, pre-COVID. I mean, up until right. last year, he still was, was has been shooting for the team even though he's not – shooting in an official capacity but he was he was the official team photographer from 84 to about 2013 so i mean had about a 30-year run and he you know if you looked at his files you're talking everything from black and white unbelievable shots of the 72 dolphins all the way to oj's career danny stuff and and ricky williams um just phenomenal shots both things that happened on the field and th- moments he would capture these really special moments that were personal to so many folks, even outside of the, the game of play. So, um, and, and just a great eye for that and, and a neat guy. And we had a lot of fun with Dave. Yeah, we did. No more fun than we talk about his, his, uh, his wedding on the plane. Yeah, I got I mean, married on the team charter. got married on the team plane, <laughs> on team charter. <laughs> on the way back from Shula's, uh, record-breaking win that was that was absolutely hilarious man and that's some things that us in the back of the plane knew nothing about <laughs> until i heard the podcast and that's a lot of and that was a lot seth seth has a lot of knowledge about things that i wasn't privy to because i'm in the back or you know seth knows these other guys very well but the, the fact that he got married on the plane on the way back we're back there partying so much for shula's victory that we didn't even have a chance, you know? So it was, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. I think he just tried to save some money, Juice. He had all the food. The whole <laughs> thing was catered. He had all of the, the the champagne that everyone was celebrating Coach Shula's 325th. He didn't have to pay for a single guest. He didn't have to pay for a hotel room. I think Dave was, you know, he made it seem like it just kind of happened. I think there was some strategy behind it. That's a, that's a resourceful man right there. You got to take what you get, man. Take what the defense gives you, as they say. It's it's Absolutely. cool. It's cool to hear you talk about like a guy that's around the team in that capacity, but also loves the team, obviously. And uh, there's a video of uh, he, he pinned it to his Twitter profile, Twitter timeline, whatever it's called. Jim Wolak, one of our videographers right now. It was after the high five play with with Jakeem Grant, Albert Wilson, where he's taking the shot right there in the end zone and he gets up and gives a big fist pump. And I was like, that is so cool to see that moment unfold from that different lens, a different perspective. So check that out. David Cross on the Fish Tank podcast. You guys also have another one coming on the pike here next Tuesday with a certain dolphin as well. Charles Jordan, right? Charles Jordan, a former receiver, maybe not a name that people are going to think about like they would OJ or Aronde or, or receivers of that nature, Mark Clayton, Mark Duper, but CJ's story is unbelievable, Juice. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. We go way back to the days and growing up in L.A. County and uh, all the way through his current days, man, and the stuff in between, Travis, is going to be very interesting, very good list. I'm looking forward to it. You guys, you guys kind of teased it off air before the podcast, and I'm sitting here just – waiting for Tuesday for it to come out. So Fish Tank Podcast every single Tuesday here for the most part throughout the course of the season. You guys can check them out, OJ and Seth, wherever you get your podcast from. The Audible Podcast, obviously Drive Time here, our weekly crossover as well on the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. That's all I got for you guys today. Seth, OJ, appreciate your time as always, boys, and uh, we'll see you over the weekend. Hopefully we get another W and, and talk about the uh, Chiefs next weekend on Flashback Friday. You got it, Travis. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Travis. Take care. And so there they go, Seth and OJ from the Fish Tank Podcast. Always a great time to get them here on the show. Some great stories there talking about 
Aranda Gadsden, David Cross, Jimmy Johnson, Dave Wanstead, Charles Jordan, plenty to come here on the Fish Tank Podcast and the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network in general. As for today's podcast, that's going to be my time. We'll be back with you guys on Sunday night for the recap after Dolphins and Bengals with John Kinjemi. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Of course, the Fish Tank Audible and Drive Time Podcast here as well as MiamiDolphins.com for all your recap content for this weekend's game and for every day for your Miami Dolphins. Until next time, fins up.